Thank you, Nathan, for praying. Uh, we are continuing a series that we started last week on identity. Now, last week we looked at a couple of passages that gave us the indication that we were created by God and God is sovereign over us, and therefore that means He is the one who has final say over who we are. And if we want to know who we are, we have to start with God. Today we're going to be looking at another very powerful way of understanding ourselves uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So if you would like to read in your own Bible, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you don't have a Bible or you would like to just look at the screen, you can see the passage there. We're going to be reading verses 9 and 10 of 1 Corinthians 15. Just a little bit of context, Paul is writing this to the church in Corinth, and in chapter 15 he basically says, look, I want you to know this gospel that I sent to you, that I proclaimed to you, that of first importance, the, the most important thing is that you realize that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised, according to the scriptures, and then that he appeared to all kinds of people. And then he said, and he appeared to me, and then he talks about how even though he is the least of the apostles, which we start off in verse 9. Let me remind you that this is God's word. Even though Paul the apostle wrote it, what he wrote was led by the Holy Spirit so that what we hear is what God wants us to hear. And here's what God wants us to hear today from this passage. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Let me pray for us. Lord, these are powerful words, as all your word is powerful. Will you, by your spirit, give us ears to hear and make our hearts soft that we would receive your word like good soil receives good seed and that we would see much fruit being born in our lives because of what you do through your word today. And, I, and for every person here, for those who are not believers, cause them to see the beauty of Jesus and believe. For those who are believers, remind them of their true identity in Christ and cause them to live out of that identity so that all of us will give you praise and you will be honored and we will be built up into what you want us to be and we will go out into the world and we will see you at work in and through us in amazing ways so that it would be good for this community around us. And we ask this 
Jesus, in your name and for your glory, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit, our one true God. Amen. So, have any of you heard of the uh, Princeton sociologist Dalton Conley, by any chance? Yeah, I didn't think there were many um, sociology fans in our midst, but he made news several years back because of the names he and his wife gave their children. For example, they named their son, and this is a true story, you can look it up, Yoshing Hanyo Augustus Eisner Alexander Weiser Knuckles Jeremenjinko Conley. That is his name. Now, he jokingly said that he's been accused of child abuse for putting that name on his kid. But one of the questions that arose from um, the conversation about giving a child a name like that is what effect does it have on the child's identity? How does your name shape who you are? I can tell you, like, from my vantage point, my name is Stuart, and growing up, I did not meet another Stuart until I was an adult. And so, on the one hand, there was a uniqueness to my name that I really appreciated. On the other hand, Stuart is very close to stupid, <laughs> and you get, you get really embarrassed sometimes when somebody says, hey, stupid, and you start to turn around. How does your name affect who you are? And for that matter, what are the other factors that shape your identity, who you think you are? We've talked about things, like in the last sermon, we talked about how none of us chose our DNA, but our DNA makes us a little bit of who we are. Your home environment that you grew up in, the society and the culture that you live in, the people around you. Do you know that you are more likely to... um, to adhere to the political views of the people that you surround yourself with than not? There are exceptions, of course, but you are more likely to be one party or the other just by the people who are around you. Your history shapes you. The way you think about all of those things helps shape you. So let me ask you, What has shaped you to be the person that you are today? That's a question that requires a little introspection, right? Requires a little contemplation of the self. And you know, whenever I'm thinking about such things, I like to go into a room with the biggest mirror because I find that's the best place for self-reflection. Yeah, that's a groaner, isn't it? Some of you still haven't gotten it. Like, uh, later on this afternoon, you're going to be, oh, self-reflection, a mirror, I get it. 
Again, it's not the worst joke in the arsenal, okay? Um, but so what is it that really defines us? What is it that really shapes who we are? Today, I would like to talk about one particular thing, if we can call it that. It's more than just a thing. But one particular aspect of who God is that shapes us powerfully. And Paul mentions it in this passage. Here's what I want you to hear. That our identity can be powerfully shaped by the grace of God. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about today. That our identity can be powerfully shaped by the grace of God. Last week we heard how God is the sovereign creator and that shapes who we are. Well, this also is a big, huge, prominent way that we can be shaped into who God wants us to be. His grace. Let's take a look at this passage from 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 9. Paul says, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Now, let's, let's think about that verse for just a few moments. This is Paul who wrote a good bit of the New Testament, right? That Paul. And here he is saying, of all the apostles that are out there, I'm the least. I'm unworthy to be a called an apostle. And why? He says, because I persecuted the church of God. I don't know if you know this history. I'm not going to assume anything about anyone in here, but if you think about Paul the apostle, what he was like, historically speaking, this is what he did. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was all in when it came to serving God the way that he thought God should be served. And he looked at Christians and thought, they're a contagion. They are a virus that needs to be eradicated. And he didn't go around vaccinating. He went around persecuting. Dragging people from their homes throwing them in prison, watching as people were stoned to death. He was the kind of guy who breathed threats and murder when it came to Christians. And Acts 9 tells us that he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so he could go there and if he found anybody who was a Christian, a follower of the way is what the scriptures say, whether they be man or woman, that he would bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem to throw them into prison, just to persecute them. This is who Paul was. But something happened on the way to Damascus. Paul met Jesus. Or it's probably better to say Jesus came after Paul. And it changed him forever. Verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Yeah, I am not worthy to be an apostle. I am the least of all the apostles because of what I did. But by the grace of God, I am an apostle. 
and I am apostle who does a lot of things for Jesus. Now, when you think about the word grace, and we're going to talk about this more in a few minutes, there are different definitions of the word, but really, biblically speaking, grace is unmerited favor. All right, that's the basic gist, the general gist of what grace is. And Paul was given the favor, not only of being set on the right path, not only of being changed in, from the very thing that he was persecuting into that very thing, but also to be an apostle to be a herald, to be the one who was uh, given this mantle of saying, I want you to carry the message that I have for people all over the world to as many people as you can reach. That's the favor, the grace that God showed Paul. And again, in verse 10, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And I love this phrase, and His grace... God's grace toward me was not in vain. What a beautiful statement. Paul was changed because God was gracious to him, and that grace was not in vain. It was not empty. It was not useless. I, I want you to think about this. So just imagine, now some of you have children, some of you don't, but just imagine that you had a child, and that child was growing up, and you thought, I really want to supply for my child's needs so that when that child reaches 21, they'll have everything they need. They'll be set for life. So you start setting apart money for them. You know, you're just putting it into some kind of fund, some kind of investment. And you're just putting money in there left and right, left and right, right? And then when they finally reach 21, you give them this beautiful gift of $10 million. Right? And that 21-year-old receives that $10 million and says, oh, thank you, Dad or Mom or whoever it was that gave it. What a wonderful gift. And you say to them, this gift is for you so that you don't have to worry about anything for the rest of your life. And that child says, great. And six months later, the child comes back to you and says, I've spent it all. you would be thinking, how is that possible? I set you up for life. And here you are, you spent $10 million in six months. Everything that I've done for you in saving that money is in vain. That's not how it is when it comes to God's grace. When God gives us His grace, in Christ. When we have what God gives us by His grace, it is not in vain. We can't waste it, although we can waste our lives in many ways, but we cannot waste His grace because His grace is powerful. It is not just something that we go, oh, wasn't that nice? It changes us. The grace that God gave to Paul was identity-shaping. He was one thing, and then he became something completely different. 
He was chasing after Christians, trying to kill them, and then he became a Christian and tried to bring more people in. That's transformation. And that's what Paul says. It's by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. And that's how God's grace is for you if you're in Christ. His grace is not in vain. He began a good work in you and He will carry it on to completion. That's His promise. We need to hear that. For those of us who, as I said in Sunday school, our sanctification, our growth in Jesus doesn't look like a straight line on a chart all the way up, you know? Like I started off here and I keep going up and up and up and I'm just getting better and better every day. Looking more like Jesus every day. Most of ours is like this. Or, you know, like that. But His grace is not in vain. If God is going to do something, He's going to get it right. That's good news for us. And, and, and the reason why is this. Ultimately, ultimately, the gift of grace is God giving Himself in Christ. Ultimately, when we're thinking about grace, grace is God giving us Himself in Christ. Grace is not a thing. Grace is a person. Here's what I mean. God isn't standing up in heaven saying, okay, well, um, you over there, you get about $10 worth of grace. Here it is. And he just throws you $10 worth of grace on. And Oh, you, whew, you need about $100 worth of grace. Here you go. That's not how it works. And the church doesn't do that, right? We don't tell you, you have to come here and you have to do all these things and we will dispense grace to you. Here it is. Now, grace is knowing God in Christ. Grace is God giving Himself to us in Jesus. We're so programmed to think that you cannot get something for nothing. I mean, have you ever gone into a store and said, hey, I don't have any money, I don't have any change in my pockets, I mean, I don't have anything, but can I have that item right there? And they say, oh, sure, here it is. That's just not the way the world works, right? And so we're so programmed to think transactionally. Do you know what I mean by that? Transaction. We're making a transaction. I give Jesus my heart, and he gives me something in return. I give Jesus my life, and he gives me something in return. I do something to win God over, and he gives me benefits. That's the way we're programmed to think. But what, but what the Scriptures tell us is that there is nothing you can do to receive God's grace except believe that He gives it. That's it. There is nothing you can do 
to receive the grace of God in Christ when God gives you himself except you believe it. Don't believe me? At least believe what the scriptures say. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, and this is in the middle of a sentence, so I'm supplying the subject. God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Do you hear that last phrase? You weren't even born when God decided to be gracious to you. When God decided, I'm going to give so-and-so myself. And then there's, of course, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. See, we like to think it has something to do with us. I have something to contribute. I mean... I worked hard enough to be a good church member. I taught Sunday school. I did this. I did this. I was a pastor. Obviously, God has to do something because I did all this for Him. That's not what God says in His Word. No. He says, this is not your own doing. It's a gift. It's a gift of God. Not as a result of works so that no one could boast. God knows us so well. He knows us so well. Because if we contributed anything substantial, or even just a little bit, like 1%, I did 1% of the work and God did 99%, He knows what we would do. I'm pretty awesome because I did 1%. Yeah, God had to do a lot of the heavy lifting, but I, I did a lot. That 1%, that was really hard. That's what we're like. And so God, in His grace, gives us this gift. And I want you to think about it. It is not a thing. It is a person. Years ago, I heard someone say this, and it has made a huge difference in the way I think about this verse, Ephesians 8, uh, sorry, 2, 8. If you take the word grace, put Jesus there, it makes perfect sense. Who are you saved by? Jesus. Jesus is the grace of God. Jesus is God giving himself to us. And in his life, he lived a perfect life that we could not live. In his death, he took our sin upon himself and he paid that penalty. In his resurrection, he gives us new life. In him ascending into heaven, he himself raises us up with him. And in his return, he will make us like himself forever, where there will be no more sin in our lives. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's by Jesus you have been saved through faith because God gives us himself. That is his grace to us. And that's what God did to Paul on the road to Damascus. When Paul was walking, going to Damascus, trying to kill all these Christians, Jesus showed up, and when you meet Jesus, you cannot move away without being changed. Hopefully for the better, 
but you can't leave Jesus without being changed. You have an encounter with him. Everything's different from that point on. And I want you to hear this, and this is what we need to understand when it comes to our identity. If we really want to understand who we are and how God's grace shapes us, listen to this, because this is powerful if you really get it, if you really believe it. The grace that we have in Christ, the grace of being united to Christ, is sufficient for everything we truly need. The grace of being united to Christ. When we have Jesus as our Savior, as our Lord, as our head, as our husband, as our all in all, as our life, when we have Jesus as our all, His grace is sufficient for everything we need in this life. Everything. No matter what it is. That's why Paul says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 15, but by the grace of God, I am who I am. By Jesus meeting me and changing me, I am who I am. And His grace toward me is not in vain. On the contrary, and I love this, here he's saying in verse 9, right? He said, I am the least of the apostles. I don't deserve to be apostles. And then he says, on the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Now, at first, you might say, well, see, there's there's Paul's pride coming out. He's getting ahead of himself. He's doing that 1%. But then he quickly says, but it wasn't me. It was God's grace that was with me. It was Jesus. It was Jesus at work in me. Paul is basically saying, yeah, I mean, it was me, But it wasn't merely me. It wasn't me by myself. It was God doing His work in me and through me because of Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. That's what led me to work harder than all these other apostles. Nothing else. Paul had a great sense of who he really was. He really understood that God's grace was not just changing him from the inside out, but it gave him everything he needed because he had Jesus. Some of you are skeptical. And I get it. As a Christian, we often fail. We often say, oh, I want to walk by faith and I want to obey God and then the next day we're unfaithful. We don't believe. We fall flat on our face. We sin. And we go, okay, where's the power? Where's the power to change me? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt, went back and did it again. Right? That's for every one of us who follows Jesus. We've all had that experience. But I am not saying something that the Scriptures themselves do not say, that God himself does not say. Listen carefully. Not only does Paul say that God's grace is not in vain, God says his grace is not in vain when he gives it to us. From Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How many spiritual blessings? 
Wake up. How many spiritual blessings has God given you in Christ? Every one of them. Every one of them. Ephesians 2.10 For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God is not only the one who created you, He is also the one who recreated you to do good works. You see that? 2 Peter 1, 3. His divine power has granted to us all things. How many things? What? All. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. God's divine power. The power that when He spoke words, and He spoke words, He spoke the world into existence. The universe into existence. The One who upholds all of the world by his, the word of His power. That power. The power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now don't tell me that you can't follow Jesus. Don't tell me. I've made that excuse before. I'll probably make that excuse again. That's too hard. I can't do that. You're right, you can't do that apart from God at work in you. But God's grace is not in vain. Believe that this is true. We walk by faith and not by sight. We believe God says this is true. And that's how we live. Just a a little while ago... uh, the Mazell family went to the um, Billy Graham uh, library up in, in Charlotte. I don't know if any of you have ever been. It's a neat experience. One of the things that I was stunned by was part of the story that was told about how Billy Graham basically just, he got down on his knees one day and he said, Lord, I don't understand all of this. But this is your word. Your word says what's true. I'm going to believe it. And I'm going to trust you even if I don't understand. Now some people would say, okay, Billy Graham, he just kind of checked out intellectually. I think that's the smartest thing that Billy Graham could have done. And it's the smartest thing that any of us could do. Most intelligent thing. Because again, if God is the sovereign creator who created us. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Last sermon. And God's grace is sufficient for us in every way so that he gives us the power that we need for whatever we need. Then even if we don't understand, we say, okay, God, I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to follow Jesus, even if this is hard, even if this is frustrating, even if I can't figure this out, even if I'm weak. As Paul says in uh, 2 Corinthians, a verse that I am really close to making my life verses. (laughs) Paul had these visions 
And he says that he saw things that no human being had really ever seen. But then in verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12, he says, So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content, content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Maybe the point of what all that struggle that we have where we fail is for us to stop relying on ourselves and see I am in Christ and Christ is my life. Christ is my power. Christ is my everything. And if I need something, His power is made perfect in my weakness. Some, somebody say amen to that. I, I know you don't like being weak. I don't either. But I read this passage and I, I think about how many times have I prayed, God, take away my depression and anxiety issues. And He has not taken them away. And I come back to this passage and I go, okay, God, You promised when I am weak, you are strong. So show up. Do your stuff. Because I can't do this. I cannot continue on if I'm struggling with anxiety, if I'm struggling with depression. I can't do it. You have to do it. So, my friends, God's grace is powerful, okay? It's not just something that we say, oh, you know, grace, grace, God's grace, isn't it nice? It's greater than all of our sin. Right? And if God's grace shapes our identity, then here's my question for all of you. The question is this. What do we believe has the ultimate defining power over who we are? That's the real question. That is the real question that we need to be asking ourselves. What do we believe has the ultimate defining power over who we are? Paul's answer was this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And His grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all those other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. That's Paul's answer. What's your answer? What is it that has ultimate defining power over you? Is it the way you look? Is it your job? Is it your status? 
Is it your finances? Your popularity? Your family? Your friends? Your circumstances? Your failures? Your past? And if you're like me, your anxiety, your depression, What is it that has defining power over you? If we allow any of those things that are not God or anything that I haven't mentioned to have ultimate defining power over our identity, we've missed where the true power is. I really appreciate um, this quote by uh, Klein Snodgrass, which is not a name you've probably heard but it's a great quote. Christ is not an accessory to our identity. You know, not just something that you kind of add on. As if we were making a small addition by letting him in, he takes over our identity so that everything else becomes an accessory. That's the power of the gospel in our lives. Christ is not an accessory to our identity as if we were making a small addition by just, you know, kind of putting a purse on or, you know, for a guy, I don't know what, a fanny pack, I don't know. Accessory, whatever that accessory is. No, he takes over our identity so that everything else becomes and accessory. And so as followers of Christ, we can say, my looks do not define me. Christ defines me. My job does not define me. Christ defines me. My status does not define me. Christ defines me. My finances do not define me. Christ defines me. My popularity does not define me. Christ defines me. My performance does not define me. Christ defines me. My circumstances do not define me. Christ defines me. My past, my failures, anything else in all the world does not truly define me. Christ defines me. I don't even define myself. Christ is the one who ultimately defines me. I hope that that's been helpful in you understanding where our identity is supposed to be grounded. It's in the fact that God created us and He's sovereign over us, yes, But by His grace, He has given us Jesus and everything, all things that are needed for life and for godliness. And therefore, I am in Christ. That is my primary identity. Nothing else. Nothing else. So, again, some of you like action points. And I know some of you are like, eh, I don't really care for these. I love those comments, by the way. Thanks. (laughs) But for those of you who really like action points, here's some stuff you can do, all right? If you want to say, okay, what do I do with all this? Here's something specific you can do. First, 
And I'm breaking this up into two things. First, for Christ followers, if you are a follower of Jesus, remind yourself every day who God says you are in Christ. That's, that's an easy thing to do. Just start your day reminding yourself who you really are. And if you need help doing that, I have 100 copies of this paper that just basically has various verses that says who you are in Christ. It is not an exhaustive list, but it will get you started. If you would like to have one of these, I will put them right up here, and you can get them after the service. That's for you. Just take some time to look over those verses. Pick some and memorize them. Or just read them every day. Remind yourself who you really are because there's so many voices out there that are telling us other stuff and we forget who we really are. And now for those of you who are not followers of Christ, this has nothing to do with identity. It has everything to do with how what you really need is to encounter Jesus. <laughs> so if you are a non-believer, if you are not a follower of Christ, I'm going to ask you to actively engage with the Gospels. I said earlier, you cannot meet Jesus without being changed. I challenge you. If you're saying, hey, I don't believe this stuff, read the Gospels. If you don't know what the Gospels are, you get a Bible, go to the New Testament, find Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Pick one and read it. Read what it says about Jesus. Be impacted by what happens in the gospel. Put yourself in the story and ask yourself, what do I really believe about this person who's called himself Jesus? I promise you, if you really engage with Jesus in the gospels, you cannot come out just being in the middle. You'll either come out a follower of Jesus or you'll be vehemently against him. But you can't be in, the, in between. Jesus doesn't give you room for that. So if you're an unbeliever, you're not a believer, that's my challenge to you. You want to know what we're all about? Read the Gospels. See what Jesus has to say. Let that impact who you are. And if you'd like to talk further about how Jesus might be affecting you, I'd love to have that conversation with you. In the meantime, let me just encourage all of us, let's trust God Let's trust God can and will shape our identity as we look to Christ in faith. And that's what I'm going to pray for us right now. Father, we want to trust you. We don't want to lean on our own understanding. We want to acknowledge you in all of our ways so that you will make straight our paths. We don't want to be wise in our own eyes, but we want to fear you. We want to adore you. We want to respect and honor you because you are the God who created us. You are the God who is sovereign over us. And you are the God who has provided everything in Jesus. For those who don't believe, use the words that they read in the Gospels that they would see who Jesus is and would believe. And for those of us who do believe, remind us who we are. Don't let us forget and don't let us go uh, very long without reminding us who we really are in Christ. Lord, we need this. 
because you have made us a new creation. You've made us new. And we want to live that out for your glory, for the good of the church, and for the good of this community around us. Help us. Empower us, Holy Spirit, that we would do that. In Jesus' name, amen.